Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is going to withdraw. What he's saying is he's going to withdraw his word from them. And again, this is one of the ways God judges nations. He withdraws his word and everybody begins to do what is right in their own eyes. And then you get to a place where you have chaos and anarchy ultimately. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Amos chapters 6 through 9. Now here's Pastor Brian. This is such a great reminder to us of of how God works, how God puts his hand on a person and then uses them for his purposes. And that's something that we see, of course, from cover to cover in the Bible. That is basically the story that we have in the scripture of how God calls and gifts and empowers and uses people. And I bring this up because it's just important to remember that even though we go through training, if we're going to be, say, in pastoral ministry or something like that, you know, we go through training, we get educated, we do all of that stuff, and and that's all fine. But if that's all we did, then we would not have a ministry that would have any real impact or significance. Our ministry must be due to the call of God upon our lives. And it's not just a call of God to be like an Amos, like a prophet to a nation, but that call of God manifests itself in a thousand different ways. Do you know that people that teach children here, Sunday school teachers, you know, they do it out of a sense of a call from God on their lives. And that's exactly what happens. God will call you. Think about that. God will call you to go teach seven-year-olds and to impart to them the truth about God and and love for God through your life and all of that. Isn't that amazing that, that God will do that? He will do that. And, you know, and he'll call other people to all different types of things. But I just want us to to remember where sometimes we put, you know, it it kind of, you get caught with two perspectives a lot of times. You get caught with one perspective that says, like, like, for example, there are many churches in this country who, in looking for pastoral leadership, they will not even consider a candidate unless they have a master's of divinity. So it's, it's not even an option. You can't even fill out an application unless you have a, what they call an MDiv, short for master's of divinity. And then, so that, that's one side. And then you've got another side where it's like, well, hey, you seem like, you know, you might, 
be pretty good. You got some charisma and you, you, can, you can speak all right. Well, let's make you a pastor. <laughs> so neither one of these things are really exactly the way it is supposed to work. I was talking to a friend today and we were talking about a local church that's been searching for a pastor for quite some time. And my question to him was, well, where are they at in that process and why are they kind of stuck? And, and basically part of it had to do with, you know, they're just looking for somebody who meets all of these qualifications that you would find are more akin to what you would need to be a CEO of a great corporation rather than somebody who just has a heart to shepherd God's people and has a knowledge of his word. And so we want to remember an MDiv is fine, but that's not the qualification qualification is to be called by God. And you don't have to have that to be called by God and serve God. God can take you like he did with Amos. He can take you from following after the sheep and tending the fig tree and say, hey, come on, I'm going to send you over here to prophesy. And we, we can never lose sight of that. We've got to always keep that in mind. So now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Now, you got to hand it to Amos. This guy is courageous. So remember, again, Amaziah, he's got authority from the king. He's got power. He's got reinforcements with him to back up his command to Amos. And Amos is very courageous. This is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Wow. You might say, boom. You know, that was one of those moments where I wonder what Amaziah thought at this moment. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. Amos says, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked, a basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing, many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence, hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? skimping on measures, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. So see these things? I mean, this is, you know, talking about inflating the prices, talking about cheating people, talking about the world we live in. 
And it's for these things that God judges that nation. It's for these things that the nations will ultimately be judged. Then the Lord swore by himself, the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble before this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and your singing into weeping. And I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. So back back up for a second. When he says, when he's, the people are saying, when will the new moon be over? The, the Sabbath, when is it, is it gonna be ended so we can get back to selling? So they're still going through all of the religious motions, but they hate it. They don't want, they want this, let's, can we just get through the Sabbath day so we can get back out there and make more money? That's what is being talked about. So even though they have this religious external expression of religion, it, that's all it is. It's just external. There's nothing in their hearts. They have no real desire to seek the Lord. And they're expressing that there. And of course, that's what God is addressing. So look at verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. This is an interesting one. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. This is the pronouncement of a judgment. That's what this is. God is going to withdraw. What he's saying is he's going to withdraw his word from them. And again, this is one of the ways God judges nations. He withdraws his word. There is no prophetic word being spoken to the nation And everybody begins to do what is right in their own eyes. And then you get to a place where you have chaos and anarchy ultimately. But but it is a judgment that God brings. Thank God, even though I think we could safely say that in certain aspects of our society, we can see the judgment of God beginning. Thank God we still have his word being proclaimed across the land. I mean, that in and of itself is a mercy. You know, I have been to places in the world where I have seen with my own eyes a famine for the word of God. You know, I've been to places where where people's lives are so messed up the, the messed up life is the rule, not the exception. Just everybody is screwed up and just in unbelievable ways. And you look at societies like this and you think, how did it get like this? And then another thing you notice is that although there are plenty of church buildings, there's nobody in them. And even though there are Bibles, nobody preaches from them. And nobody 
believes them. And you see, it's this, it's this famine. I went to this city many years ago in an Eastern European country. It was a city of 200,000 people. And in a city of 200,000 people, there was one evangelical church that had about 25 people in it. And man, this city was, was an interesting place. And we went in there with a small group of us and we went out to share the gospel. And the reason we went there is because somebody that we knew lived there. And so they said, hey, why don't you come to our city and, and let's see if something could happen because we were doing stuff in other cities in that country and the surrounding countries. And we were seeing God do a, a good work. But I'll never forget going into that city and going into a park and beginning to preach the gospel and having a large crowd gather around us. And unlike other places where we were doing that, where people were responding, I want to hear more. Can I get a Bible? You know what they were saying? <laughs> they were basically saying, shut up and get out of here. Go back to where you came from. We don't want to hear what you have to say. If you keep saying what you're saying, we're going to beat you. Now, there were like six of us and 60 of them. So we decided, okay, <laughs> we probably ought to leave. <laughs> and we did leave. But when I think about places where there's a famine of the word, and when I think about that in this context as being a judgment, this is what's happened. And so when we think about places like Europe, for example, and like Britain, and obviously like, surely like many parts of the U.S. and, and other places, I don't want to just single those guys out. I mean, it's kind of all over, but, you know, we need to pray. As we pray, we need to pray for the famine to end. God, send your word back to these people. Send your word back to these nations. God, have mercy and bring your word because the word is what brings life. And that's what makes the difference. And as God would raise up people to begin to proclaim his word in these dark places, we could still yet see a fresh work of God, even in our day. So in that day, the day that there's this famine and the searching for the word, the lovely young woman and the strong young man will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, that would be the swearing by the temple there, who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall never to rise again. And I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, strike the top of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. So this is a description of the temples being uh, toppled. And those who are left, I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away. None will escape. 
though they dig down to the depths below, and from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Wow, this all sounds so severe, doesn't it? But again, this is the, this is the consequence of just an absolute refusal to repent. You know, I think we, I don't know, maybe maybe we're learning as we go on in time. But I know when I was younger as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, when I would read about, you know, the depth of human sin and I would read about um, the severity of God's judgment and I would look around and think, yeah, yeah, we're bad, but are we really that bad? You know, I mean, that's just an honest thought I would have. And you realize now that as time goes by and as the restraints are lifted more and more, you see the evil that's actually within begins to bubble over. You see, the law... And laws in general suppress that. They hold that back. They keep that down. Fear of judgment causes people to suppress what they would normally maybe do. But as those kinds of restrictions are lifted and as a fear of judgment just sort of evaporates, people no longer thinking about a judgment day or being worried at all that that is even a remote possibility or reality. It, it just creates an environment where, where all of the corruption that's in the human heart just begins to overflow into society. And then you, you begin to see what real wickedness looks like. And it's when you see what real wickedness looks like that these statements about judgment, they become more of a, of a, rather than something that troubles you, they become something like, yes, Lord, this is absolutely right. There's a theologian and he's an Eastern European is where he originates from. And he tells his own story of at one time, not believing in hell and just the whole idea of God punishing people and eternal damnation and all that. It, it just really, he didn't want to have anything to do with that. His theological position was that there was no such thing as eternal judgment and so forth. And he tells his own story about how he changed his mind and he changed his mind when his country was invaded and went to war, and when he saw the brutality and the wickedness and the evil and the injustice 
the rape, the murder, the pillage, all of those things that happened right before his eyes, he then changed his mind and realized there has to be a judgment. This stuff cannot go unanswered. It would be unjust to think that God would just allow this kind of thing to go on and never hold anyone accountable for it. So when the Lord says things like, though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. What he's saying is that no one will escape this judgment. There's nowhere you can go. The only way to escape judgment is to cast ourselves on the mercy of God and put our faith in the one who received the judgment already for us. Because all of those sins that people will be judged for are the very things that Jesus died for. And so if I refuse Jesus and his forgiveness, his atonement for my sin, then I have to answer for the sin that I've committed. If I do receive Jesus, then he has already answered for my sins. He has paid the price. That's what we know as substitutionary atonement. He made atonement. He paid the price for our sin that we could not pay. Somebody recently said that it probably will not make any difference to people when you talk to them about God or justice or righteousness or those things until they have some sense of understanding that they are accountable to God. And again, this is where this is where prayer is so important because the Holy Spirit, his role is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What sin is, what righteousness is, and why judgment comes. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So as we think of the world that surrounds us and we think of how oblivious people are to those those spiritual facts, how can that change? Well, I think as we pray, as we ask the Lord, Lord, by your spirit, bring that conviction so that people begin to sense. I know how, how I became a Christian. The first step to me becoming a Christian was I began to sense the weight of my sin on me. I began to sense the guilt. I began to sense that there was a judgment for what I was doing. Nobody told me that. January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. Choices that we make have lasting effects and we all live with regrets. But are you paralyzed by your past? Do you live in the dark shrouds of if-onlys? Does your past influence your present more than God's past, present, and future grace? Have you received and are living out the forgiveness that is yours because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Well, in his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp will take you deep into the grace of God. He will help you understand God's grace that exposes what you want to hide so he can forgive you and deliver you. You will get to know God's grace that welcomes you to live with a hope in the present because it will free you to leave your past behind. God's grace is essential for the Christian life. It is something you will never deserve, but can always expect. If you need to experience the grace of God, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Amos. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.